0: Hello, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The name of the show is Across the Pond. We're over here on the east coast of the United States recording, and that's why we call it Across the Pond. We've got a lot of you over in the UK that listen to this on Premier Radio, and others are joining by a podcast. And we uh, every week we get to talk about Red Letter Christianity. And it's now a movement happening in the UK and around the world. Folks, that... Um, don't quite like the language uh, of fundamentalism or evangelical and are just looking to reclaim a Christianity that looks like Jesus again. And uh, so a lot of us look at the old Bibles and they have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. And uh, a, a radio DJ once said to Jim Wallace, a friend of ours, he said, you guys seem to like the stuff in red. You should call yourselves red letter Christians. And that uh, that name kind of hung with us. So we we like it. And we uh, see a lot of you out there that are asking questions about why does why does so many Christians act so unlike Jesus? And uh, Gandhi said a bunch of years ago, he said, I love Christians. I just wish that or I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. They seem to be the only ones that uh, don't take the words of Jesus seriously. He read the Sermon on the Mount every morning. And so that's what we're inviting you to do is uh, read the words of Jesus. That's what we're doing and saying, what if we actually tried to love our enemies, to hold our material items with open hands and live like the lilies and the sparrows? What would the world look like? So thanks for joining us. Tony over here uh, has been my teacher on a lot of this. When did we start... You know, we when when I was at Eastern Study in sociology, I remember you saying um, that maybe the next thing after the evangelical word was that we would just start calling ourselves followers of Jesus yeah. or yeah. disciples yeah. again. You know, and because we uh, words well, the, words kind of end up uh, having a lifespan sometimes.
1: Well, let's put this in the context of what they're experiencing in the United Kingdom right now. Uh, Donald Trump, our president from the United States, has just ended a visit over there in the United Kingdom, in which she was dined by the Queen and uh, Prince Charles, and they all tried to bite their lips and be as cordial as they could to each other. Yeah, folks Uh, on
0: social media saw the pictures of Obama when he went and Trump mm -hmm. when he went, and everybody's faces were put next to each other. You're like, wow, one of of these are very different uh, visits. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Obama was greatly loved in the United Kingdom, and I think the approval rate for uh, Donald Trump was down like about 23% of the uh, British people uh, said, I I think he's uh, all right. Um, Overwhelming majority um, were opposed to him. He didn't go to the United Kingdom last year. He canceled his uh, trip because the uh, evidence was that a massive protest movement was being uh, garnered uh, to uh, keep him from coming. And so they were able to keep uh, Trump from uh, visiting last year because uh, negative attitudes. And the reason why I bring up Donald Trump is that, unfortunately, here in the United States, white evangelicals are seen to be the base of his support. White evangelicals uh, basically uh, are the supporters of of Trumpism, as we call it here in the United States. And
0: white nationalists and white supremacists. And sometimes those overlap, unfortunately. Well, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that in many ways uh, there isn't a sociologist that I know of that doesn't believe that Donald Trump has really encouraged uh, people with pretty negative thoughts on race, on uh, immigration, on uh, poor people, to suddenly voice... Their contempt for these folks, um, and uh, we we see it in an uprising of what we call ethno uh, nationalism here in the United States, mm. but it's certainly true in the United Kingdom as well and across Europe. And so, uh, evangelicals, uh, white evangelicals, and I have to be careful to really focus on white evangelicals, have closely identified with Donald Trump. And um, Jerry
0: Falwell, the president of Liberty University, called him the dream president for Christians. Uh, uh, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, has called him uh, the most pro-life president there is, said that God intervened in the election and helped, uh, uh, not the Russians, but God, (laughs) (laughs) helped Donald Trump get elected and uh, uh, Robert Jefferson, Dallas, and others that that have said, this is God's man.
1: Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, is... Donald Trump, an expression of your kind of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Here's a man who's cutting all kinds of social benefits to poor people. Is that the kind of man who you think is what God wants? And has
0: kids in cages and families separated. We we yeah. now had like six kids die in custody at the border. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's horrific. Yeah. Not just not just tweets and paying off porn stars, but also like policies that are hurting the least of these, the people Jesus cared so much about.
1: When I speak on immigration, you know, you look over the audience in an evangelical church and you know that the majority of them are Trump supporters. And I can't help it, but I always end up saying, now, if you don't see that there's something wrong with putting little children in cages Mm. while the government decides what to do as they process them, uh, putting kids in cages. If, if, if you're not repulsed by that, I think you have to ask yourself, what kind of Christian am I? Uh, in addition to that, I think that you should know that um, at the border of the United States, uh, when the uh, immigration people process these folks, they often separate the children from the parents. And they farm these kids out all over the country right now. Get this. There are 17,000 children separated from their parents. And when they're trying to reunite, reunite these uh, uh, parents and children, they don't know where these children are. Mm. They've literally gotten lost in the system. Thousands and thousands of children lost. This is what Trump is doing in this country. Uh, now, I'm not a—you know, I'm, I'm one of those uh, kind of left-wing people who think— that Trump may be right about building a wall. But this should be said. We shouldn't be keeping immigrants out of this country. Instead of sending 10,000 troops down to the border, every, uh, increasing it every other week by 10,000, uh, we should be sending down uh, legal personnel to process people. Uh, we, uh, we only are able to process 300 immigrants a day down there. And they're coming across, they're coming to the border uh, basically because of, uh, of the situation in the places back home, Honduras, Nicaragua. And when they trace out American for- foreign policy, we have created chaos in those countries. Mm. And because of the chaos, crime has soared and people are fleeing from the criminals And uh, they want to come to the United States to cause the problems in their home country. And we're not processing them fast enough to get them into the country. And we need them. We need them. Uh, This year, uh, they won't have enough people to pick fruit in Florida and to pick uh, cotton in, in Georgia. We won't have enough people to pick lettuce in California because we don't have the immigrants. And the farmers are saying, what's going on here? We have nobody that wants to take these hard jobs. These immigrants would love to do them, and you're not letting them into the country
0: and and much deeper than just the pragmatic economics of it is that the you know these are children of God made in the image of God, and the scripture says when you welcome the stranger you you welcome me that's what jesus said, and so that's what we're asking you know and I think that's the real question is uh um what what would it look like if Christians were more in love with Jesus than Donald yeah. Trump in America? <laughs> you yeah. know, what if we our fidelity really rested uh, in Christ and and that was shaping our political imagination? Um, you know, Franklin Graham just had a day of prayer on on Sunday, June second, where he asked everybody to pray, but it was all shaped in the uh, not just a prayer for the president, but but uh, uh, this this idea that that god has appointed him for such a time as this and um i think that's where it becomes dangerous is when we the, the dr king said so well he said the church is not meant to be the servant of the state but the conscience of the state that we are not meant to be the chaplains of empire but the prophets of resistance were to to speak truth and love and compassion into the hearts of leaders
1: and politicians
0: so that's where it's where we kind of lose our way
1: indeed uh I think when we, when the evangelical community, so white evangelical community, so intensely identifies with Donald Trump as as it does, we have to ask what kind of testimony do we have as evangelicals if, in fact, uh, white evangelicals identify with a man who has defined people coming up from Latin America in broad categories as rapists, drug addicts, and pushers. Uh, prostitutes. I mean, I'm sure that there are drug addicts and prostitutes and criminals coming across in the, the White border. House. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, is this to suggest that that's who they are? I mean, an mon- a infinitesimal minority might fall into this category, but a whole race of people now is being defined in these very, very ugly terms. And thus, we're going to have to live with the racism that Donald Trump is encouraging with those kinds of stereotypes for generations to come, uh, and evangelicalism should not be connected with that. Mm. And that's why we started the Red Letter Christian movement. We said, hey, you're, you believe in the Bible. You believe in the miracles. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe in salvation coming through a personal relationship with the resurrected Jesus. You believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed, uh, but you don't want to call yourself an evangelical anymore because evangelical has so many negative connotations uh, politically. Uh, Is there any place where we can hang our hat? And our answer is, yes, there is.
0: Yeah, and when I I meet a lot of folks that uh, say that they've rejected Christianity or they're they're ex-evangelicals or whatever, they end up talking about what they've rejected and they haven't rejected Jesus. Yeah. Uh, they've actually rejected a version of Christianity that has abandoned Jesus in many ways, you know, has become mo- much more aligned with the uh, Republican party than with the sermon on the Mount. And that, that's where I, I, as, as we look at it, you know, I had a reporter that said, do you consider yourself anti-Trump? And I said, no, I consider myself pro Jesus. It's yeah. just that so much that Trump, even in his personal life, but certainly in his policies, um, are the antithesis of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. That the, uh, it looks more like the seven deadly sins than the fruits of the Spirit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's well, the problem. I guess the, uh, the real issue for me is uh, what happens to the Christian faith because of what's happening here in the United States.
0: Yeah, that's what breaks my heart. Even someone like Franklin Graham, who I, I really believe loves leading people to Jesus, but can't see the damage that's being done by his um, defense of the indefensible when it comes to Trump and his, his ab, uh, just blind alliance to, to Donald
1: Trump. Their response when asked this question, how could you do this? Uh, don't you see the, the problems that this man has? and they basically say well he's like the persian uh king uh cyrus who uh,
0: yeah they actually are selling coins now with Trump's picture and Cyrus's picture on a gold coin for forty-five dollars for the forty-fifth president. This yeah. is happening. I, mean, I thought it, at first it was something off of like the, you know, the Onion or the satire <laughs> news or something, but it's actually happening. You know, yeah. oh my god. And, uh, and
1: and that's being sold by a televangelist uh, by by a televangelist here in the United States. You're yeah, not just selling it. gold coins with Trump's picture on one side, Cyrus's picture on you, the other you side. You can't make this stuff up. You know, you yep. know and uh, this is a way of financing Christian ministry. It's not even pure gold either, by the way. Of course. Gold-ish. Yeah, The reality is that uh, uh, we have to say red-letter Christians is the place where you should hang your hat. If you believe the essential Orthodox Christian faith beliefs, uh, it's time to start calling yourself a Redditor Christian. Go to the website. Find out what we're all about. Read the articles that are put on there. Uh, Shane writes articles for it. I write articles. Many, many Christian leaders across the country write articles that are put posted on redditorchristians.org. And, and you can
0: and, sign up, too, and get our wake-ups, which are, uh, every morning we send out a reflection from a red letter leader around the world and uh, those are really beautiful they're touching a lot of people
1: and And they're free uh, they're not 45 (laughs) dollars and they don't have shane's picture on (laughs) uh, on it either Uh, but uh, please please go to that and sign up and there's a place where you can sign on uh, to a pledge that you're going to live out uh, what it says in the 25th chapter of matthew you know if there are any verses. That have molded the red-letter Christians' movement. It's the passages in uh, the twenty-fifth chapter of Matthew, where at the end of the chapter, Jesus uh, says to his disciples, uh, "There will come a day when I separate the sheep from the goats, and these are the questions I will ask: Mm -hmm. I was hungry, did you feed me? I was naked, did you clothe me? I was sick, did you uh, did you come and minister to me? I was in prison, did you visit me?" I was an alien from another country. Did you take me in? For if you fail to do it to the least of these, you fail to do it unto me. Mm. Jesus identifies with the poor and the oppressed. And uh, uh, we say, if you're going to be a red-letter Christian, we want you to take Jesus seriously and join those who say, I'm going to commit myself to helping the poor and the oppressed of the world because Jesus says, if I don't, I'm not ministering to him.
0: And incidentally, like I, I don't know if you've seen the website lately, Tony, but it, for the at redletterchristians.org, you can also find about I mean just dozens of sermons from incredible leaders. Uh, we had these revivals in Lynchburg and Dallas, and word on the street is we might be headed to, to Boone, North Carolina next, but we're we're not going to uh, quite go there yet. That's where Franklin Graham is, but we're we've been to Lynchburg and to Dallas, and we've got these amazing sermons that you can watch there from. Uh, all kinds of our folks. And we now have a bookstore that has, oh, probably a couple hundred books from all the different folks that you can look at there. Including so, books from
1: Shane Claiborne, <laughs> you know. <laughs> our,
0: our books are there. But the, the, the thing that we talk about at Red Letter Christians is we want to harmonize, but not homogenize. So there is something powerful about diversity. And it is one of the correctives, I think, to the um, what evangelicalism has become with the white evangelical kind of, narrative that has uh, colonized what Christianity often stands for and looks like, that we want to see native, black, Latino, Asian, all kinds of different leaders, women, men, LGBT voices, like that are out there speaking for the thing that holds us all together is our love for Jesus and our belief that Jesus calls us to impact this world and to seek the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So Check it out. Even if you've been there before, we've got a whole bunch of new stuff on there and all these new sermons.
1: I wanted to talk to you about what is all over this country among evangelical Christians. It's a heretical concept. It's called American exceptionalism. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the term and I'm sure you know what it means, that in some special way, the United States of America is a chosen vessel of God to rescue the world from sin and degradation, that we are the exceptional people. Uh, We sing this hymn, uh, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Uh, Well, I do believe he has, uh, or she has. I believe that God has been gracious with America, but doesn't God have grace for every nation of the world? Mm. And uh, uh, American exceptionalism, do you have any reflections yeah, on well,
0: that? It, it's uh, uh, something that, you know, goes all the way back. In fact, I mean, a lot of this is before America, right, where Rome claimed to be the hope of the world, the light of the world. But now we've kind of, um, uh, you know, give, given that a remix for the American version where we literally have presidents that have said, uh, well, George Bush said that, um, uh, uh, the ideals of America are the light of the world and the darkness will not overcome it. And there's, yeah. there's a, a, a verse that's all a lot like that, but it's Jesus, not America. That's yeah. the light of the world. And Barack Obama said that America is the last best hope on earth. Yeah. So those of us that have put our hope in Christ, like we sort of know better than that. You know, I think we, we, we hope that uh, uh that, you know, there's things that I love about America, but we, we are not the light of the world. We're not the hope, the last best hope on earth. That's Christ. But it's that language that um, has often been attributed to empires and Caesars. And it's exactly the same thing that Jesus was spinning on his head. You know, every time the early Christians said, um, Christ is Lord, they were saying Caesar is not. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of times what we, we end up trusting in is our own military, our own uh Dow Jones you know everything else our stocks every all the hope that we're supposed to put in God we end up putting in America even when it comes to policing the world like uh uh, Martin Luther King said don't let anybody tell you that America uh is the policeman of the whole world God's messianic force to be reckoned with like that that's that not our calling in the world so I, I think that that uh it is a theological thing and even when we hear like America first yeah um It's not just bad policy, but it's also a theological heresy that our our Bible doesn't say America first. It says the last should be first. Seek first the kingdom of God.
1: Yeah, that's the big thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, A a very famous theologian author, H. Richard Niebuhr, uh, about 75 years ago, wrote a book called The Concept of the Kingdom of God in America. Mm -hmm. And his point was that America was founded with this image of the kingdom of God and justice and helping the poor and the oppressed. And we always judged the country in accord with what we read about the kingdom of God in the Bible. He thought that was wonderful, but he thought that the f- great fear that he had was not that we would use the kingdom of God as an ideal by which we would judge who we are, but that we would come to think that America was the kingdom of God. Mm. And I find that many people talk about America as the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about this little church in South Philadelphia yeah. that I've been working at lately. They had an American flag up on the pulpit, and uh, a young man got upset with that. He said, why, why, why is this American flag here? Aren't we worshiping a Jesus who embraces all the peoples of the world? The pastor thought about that, and he went out and bought flags for every single country in the world. <laughs> so when you went into the sanctuary, here were these flags of every single country of the world. All or nothing, baby. Yeah. yeah. And every Sunday, they prayed, not just for the nation, yeah. but they prayed for one of these countries, and the word got out. And if you go to St. John's Baptist Church in 13th and, and Tasker in South Philadelphia— In the back of the sanctuary are letters from prime ministers and presidents and uh, heads of state from kings of other nations who wrote and said, we can't believe that your church took time out on this past Sunday to pray for us, to pray for our people, to pray for the welfare of the nation. That's wonderful. But wouldn't it be great if we began to get an international perspective instead of a nationalistic perspective? Mm-hmm. I think we're called beyond nationalism.
0: Yeah. In, in our office, we have a, a quote that says, uh, a love for our own people is not a bad thing, but God's love doesn't stop at borders. Good we're, line. We're to, we're to love big, you know, and, and uh, so I had one other pastor that, as you were talking about the flags, he uh he said he took his flag off the altar and the church went crazy you know he yeah. said so i knew that was a little too abrupt so he said every week i would just move it about two or three inches over until uh, uh, it got further and further from the cross and the altar and then he said eventually i uh, had it so far it was in the door and it just kept moving right out the door
1: <laughs> <laughs> well people people are more nationalistic than they are uh, christian uh, i i gotta say uh, we have to love our nation we are called to be supportive of our nations, whatever they may be. But we must not allow ourselves to think that any nation is the embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth.
0: Yeah, and I think we have to challenge the uh, this uh, a lot of what becomes idolatry and it becomes a, a, a different narrative of uh, a, a different gospel. And that's exactly what Rome had, was a different gospel than Jesus. And there was a savior already and it was Caesar, you know, and there was, a, good news proclaimed, but it wasn't good news to the poor. (laughs) It was good news to the powerful and the rich. And so Jesus is spinning all that language on his head. But when we look at America, we have our own narrative of manifest destiny. We have our own national anthem, which is uh, our worship song, you know, and so it becomes its own civic religion. I have
1: to think twice about those who are in the Jehovah Witness movement. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know they refuse to salute the flag. Right, right. They refuse to put their hands over their hearts and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. And Jehovah Witnesses say, and I wish the Christian community would say this, yeah. I refuse to do it. I only
0: have one allegiance to give. That, yeah, I, yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't, can't give my allegiance to my country and my full allegiance to Jesus at the same time. I need to support my country insofar as it does not conflict with my allegiance to my ultimate destiny, namely Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Hey, we're out of time. And we rambled a little bit, but I think it was good rambling. (laughs) So join the the Red Letter Christian Yeah, go to the website, redletterchristians.org. There's a place where you can sign on and say, I like what I'm hearing from Tony and and Shane, and I need to become part of this movement. And... uh, also, we, we uh, want you to support Premier Radio, a great station that gives us this time uh, and uh, says, uh, talk about the things that they're talking about on the other side of the pond. And so the name of the show is From Across the Pond. Be with us next week, 5 o'clock, Premier Radio here in uh, the United Kingdom, there in the United Kingdom, here in the United States. Blessings.